0: on how you buy. Hello to everybody who still thinks way too hard about the words of Ian MacKay. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. Hi everybody, if you're somebody who doesn't like an intro, this week you're going to want to skip about 10 minutes ahead. I'll just ask that if you're looking for my tour dates, we talk about those in the show. You can also find them at chrisgeth.com. You can also sign up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus at beautifulanonymous.com. Go ahead and skip 10 minutes ahead if you don't want to hear the intro. Thanks. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here and I want to say hello. And I want to say thank you for listening. And I want to say that I am proud of the show, and I am proud of what we're doing. And I keep hearing from people, and thank you so much for your support. Means the world. Means the absolute world. I will say, I saw I saw someone posting somewhere today. Well, I used to listen to the show and until they started pre planning every episode. And I just want to be clear, if that is the impression that friends in your life have, let them know. We don't pre-plan anything. We are flying by the seat of our pants uh, more than we were in the old days. So let's not worry about that. Uh, What else do I have to say? Thanks to everybody who's been signing up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus at beautifulanonymous.com. It is starting to catch some real momentum. We are officially, as of my recording this intro, Uh, at 550 members, which is no joke. And thank you for that. A reminder that if we can get to 2,500 subscribers in the first year, I get a bonus and it will be significant for myself and my family. And it is much appreciated if you would think about being one of those 2,500 signups and we're chipping away at it week by week. And how cool would it be if the Tens of thousands of people listening heard this and went, "Eh, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot someday. Let me do it now so this guy gets his bonus and can stop worrying about it. That would be super cool of you. Anyway, you can sign up at beautifulanonymous.com. Also wanted to let you know that I have a bunch of live shows coming up um, this month. I'll be at San Francisco Sketch Festival. I'll be doing uh, stand-up shows and improv show with my friend Tammy Sager a recording of a podcast hosted by Paul Giamatti, sfsketchfest.com for info on all of those. On January 28th, I'll be in Portland, Oregon at the Hawthorne Theater. My understanding is that tickets for that one are flying. Uh, chrisgeth.com for tickets to all of these. Also, if you're in the New York area, if you're anywhere near Brooklyn, on February 3rd, I'm hosting a show. It's near and dear to my heart. It's my first ever laughing together show that I'm putting together. This will be fundraising for the nonprofit that I work for uh, that, of course, places mental health services in schools. So the profits go towards paying the comics and then towards helping to get mental health specialists into schools. And it's an insane bill. Sketch from Business Casual, stand-up from Christy Summers, Kane, myself, and the great Gary Goleman, who is one of the most brilliant comics of our time. So you can please come out to that. And then I'll be in Vancouver. Uh, in February, I'll be in Boise doing a beautiful anonymous live taping in March. Uh, that's going to be part of the Pod Fort Festival. We have not done a live taping in a long time, and I don't think we've ever done a live taping in Boise. I've only passed through Boise once or twice in my long life on the road. So again, all of that stuff is available at chrisgeth.com. There's ticket links to everything. San Francisco Sketch Fest is the thing coming up quickest on the 26th and 27th of this month. February 3rd, I would love to pack out that show raise some some money for a nonprofit that puts mental health specialists in schools. And this is I can vouch for it cuz I work for them, grassroots in the trenches. This is not like you donate some money and you don't know where it's getting spent. It's getting spent helping to build a better mental health infrastructure in schools by placing counselors on school campuses straight Anyway, there's all the plugs. Is there anything else I need to tell you about? I don't think there is. I do want to say that there seems to be a real push right now of people realizing that they need to take care of themselves and that some of that means less devices, more in-person interaction. I'm starting to sense it. In my world of comedy, I'm starting to see A lot of pushback from people who consume comedy saying, I'm starting to get the sense that a lot of these big-name comedians who are talking about getting canceled are manipulating us because they're making millions of dollars by ranting about it and getting me upset and scared about all this and attacking marginalized groups and presses. Yeah, yeah, don't get manipulated. Don't do it. We're now officially this week entering into the primary season in American politics There's just endless amounts of news to read. And there are things to be scared of. And it's do everything you can to be a well-informed person, but don't get manipulated into the unnecessary fear because there's so much that is necessary. So don't get your buttons pushed to a degree that you're being manipulated. Because someone's making money off of your stress and pain. Let's let's fight back against that by being reasonable people. And developing healthy habits. Anyway, this week's episode, I am excited to bring you. I'm excited to bring you. It's really, really interesting. It's really interesting. The caller in the beginning um, wants to talk to me about music, specifically about punk rock and going to small shows in spaces that are not corporate music venues. And this is a topic I've talked about on the show over the years, and he wanted to dive in because he's very interested in the hardcore punk scene. And he's heard me talk about how that was a scene that I found a little intimidating or or that I found it to be more violent than the pop punk scene that I, I was more attracted to and whatnot. And he wanted to, you know, draw some lines, and dive in deeper so we could speak more to the truth, and and we do all that. But as is the way with this show, you can feel a little bit that I would say he came in wanting to talk about that and probably had some points he wanted to make. And in the beginning, we can feel that there's a little bit of maybe getting some things off that checklist. But the way this show often works, as it does in this one, is that when the items have all been checked off the checklist and we've still got half an hour to go, you wind up falling into some things that are much deeper and very unexpected. And we start to realize that. At the end of the day, the punk scene, and I mean the hardcore scene, I think even more so, a lot of it is about found family. And that people who are attracted to subcultures where you can find a family, so to speak, oftentimes it's an indication that there might be fractures in the family you were born into. And that's certainly the case. So there is... There is some stuff here that is hard to hear if you come from a a family cut from that cloth. I don't want to say too many specifics that might spoil it, but just buckle up if necessary. And know that the first half of this is a lot about music, and I get to go on a bunch of rants, and the second half of it becomes a lot more about family and how you discover who you are and how, as you become an adult, you can make some choices to break away from things that weren't working for you or that were stressing you or making you feel oppressed or repressed and that you can redefine your life. It's not always pleasant. It's not always simple as far as this conversation goes or as a process, but it's very real for so many people. And again, I say it in the episode, but man, for those of us aware of his work, are we lucky to have Ian Mackay. And I mentioned it in the episode, I'll say it up here. One of the guiding principles in my life is a lyric from a minor threat song. I don't feel like it's cheesy or melodramatic to say that I often think about the words, you tell me that I make no difference. And pardon my French, I usually never curse in the intro, but I'm quoting him. You tell me that I make so difference. Well, at least I'm fucking trying. What the fuck have you done? To bring it back to the beginning of the intro, We all know that when the presidential politics pick up, it's time for us to stay sane, take care of each other, and start trying to make choices that are healthy for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, for our country. Now's the time to try. What are you doing? What are you out there doing? What are you out there doing to take care of yourself and the people around you and your communities? It's a simple question. It's fun to ask yourself and to get more active every time you answer it. Anyway. I'll stop rambling, and I'll get off the high horse. There's enough of that in the episode itself. Enjoy it, everybody.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host.
0: Hello? Hello? Hey, Chris. How's it going? Uh, It's good. I had one of those days where I thought it was going to be a little bit of a slow day. And it was a real busy day. So, you know, I'm, I'm shaking off that energy, but that's a good place to be. That's a fine enough place to be. Things are fine. How are you?
1: Well, I'm good. That's, that's good. That's fine. Cause that sounded like it sucked. It's actually kind of funny. I had the opposite of that. I thought it was going to be a busy day and it ended up being super slow and I actually got home early
0: and that's how I got on. Good on you. Glad to hear it.
1: Yeah. Hey, so I just want to apologize. I, Said to Andrea when I was on hold that I was going to talk about one thing, and then I text my wife who's going to be coming home from work, and she asked if I couldn't talk about that. So that's fine. I do apologize about that.
0: Oh, you're apologizing for protecting the trust of your wife and the sanctity of your marriage? Yeah. How dare you? I guess how dare you not betray your wife? I know. I know. I'm a horrible husband. So where do we go from here then? Okay, so
1: the thing that I was going to talk about to start as a light mood was I wanted to ask you about growing up in the 90s New Jersey punk and hardcore because I am in my 30s and I grew up kind of repressed and now I'm just starting to get into hardcore like going to local vfw shows and all that like to the point that my wife asked if i could go to the post office because tomorrow she's getting a boston hardcore shirt so what was it like growing up young in a music scene because
0: i'm getting into it older it was transformative we'll speak to that for anybody listening You're using the words punk and hardcore. Those are sort of companions and extensions of each other. A lot of people would say that hardcore is a subgenre of punk. And hardcore is known for, it's tough, right? Because the stereotypes are not always true, but the stereotypes are that it's a little bit more aggressive, tough guy stuff. A little bit more when people think of like a mosh pit with people really slamming into each other, and it's like a bunch of people with shaved heads and it looks violent, even though it's their form of dancing. You're generally thinking of hardcore in your mind, um, right? So, just to let people know, and you know, some so that's why I
1: wanted to ask that that's why I wanted to ask about it because every time you talk about hardcore, yeah, I know that you're talking about the 90s when it was super rough there were crews yeah and yeah like it was a scary time and like now like i'm in my 30s so i'm definitely a millennial but i really see the inclusion of the new generation
0: as making it a much funner place an experimental and more artful space Like one of the biggest hardcore bands of recent years is Turnstile out of Baltimore. Oh my goodness. They're amazing. They're incredible. But to somebody who thinks of hardcore as like youth of today and Gorilla Biscuits, I'm like, Oh, that doesn't even sound like hardcore to me. So I know a lot of punk has shifted. Like, Um, like their, their, like their shows now are like,
1: when I think of hardcore and what I like about it is like small rooms, small stages stay sometimes playing on the floor, like maybe 50 people there, but like yeah. turnstile shows are like in arenas and like the biggest room in a city, but they'll ask the venue if like people can come on stage and dance around
0: because they want the inclusion. They want it to be, I would say a lot of hardcore. The common thread between the stuff I remember and the stuff you're talking about now is that there is a bit of a dedication in a way that is sometimes unhealthy, but more often a healthy expression of it. Tribal. Um, right? There's yeah, a yeah, tribal yeah. feeling to a hardcore show, especially, as you said, the small ones with only a few dozen people there. Um, and it can be very inspiring and very community-driven and very addictive, although just like anything that embraces a tribal feeling it can also be manipulated towards some really dark stuff too right yeah uh, as far as your question so to give people background i was i was in 8th grade this summer at, i think i just finished 8th grade when my older brother who was 3 grades ahead of me told me that a uh, f- uh, friends of his we're organizing a show in town and we were going to go to the show. I don't know what that Mm -hmm. meant. What do you mean a show? Like in my mind, that could be anything that could be, what is it? Like a play, a show. What do you mean? He's like, no bands. I had never seen live music. My parents had never taken me to see an arena show or anything. So I was, did you
1: all, did you grow up calling them concerts?
0: Yeah. In my mind, a concert, my parents never took me to a concert and then my brother's talking about, Oh, Mike D is throwing a show. Mike D, by the way, remains one of my best friends. He's one of the co-hosts of my other podcast. New Jersey is the world. Um, yeah. So like many people who find punk rock, it becomes a bit of a chosen family that for me is now, you know, 30 years later, these are still people that I talk with every day. And he took me to a church up the hill, um, in our town. Mike D used Mm. to work at this church cleaning up and he rented out the basement. It had a stage. And there were a few bands. Uh, One Nature, Felix Trump, Missing Children. And right away, I, I was blown away. I mean, there there were probably 30, 40 kids there. These bands were not anything that would change the world. But they all sounded very different from each other. And I was 13 years Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Felix Frump sounded uh, kind of like that poppy descendants end of things. And Miss Missing Children was more punky and one nature was what we would call melodic hardcore, um, like real brooding stuff. And the singer was real expressive and I, I was 13 years old, but I was a real late bloomer. I probably looked like I was eight or nine and There were like kids with dyed hair, which in 1993 was an aggressive move. There were kids outside with skateboards, which was a symbol of being an outsider. And these are all things that have become uh, more and more mainstream. But it, it really, I was like, oh, I'm around people who are, they feel a little dangerous. And But I was really struck by how the bands, the members of the bands, if they were 20, I'd be shocked. They all seemed like they were like maybe five, six years older than me at the most. And I yeah. remember just instantly getting it, just instantly getting it. And I went up to the one band, Felix Frump. I went up to their merch table after they played and I bought a tape and a shirt. And, uh, I was just talking to them and I, I said to the guy, I said, I want to, I want, I want to do this. I want to be you when I grow up. And he looked back at me and he was like, I want to be you when I grow up. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what does that even mean but now I'm yeah. old enough to know he's like it turned out they were just a band from nutley and i was a kid from west orange that's a few towns away and like no one can stop you if you want to make a shirt you can find the printing press and give them a design and they and you pay them money and you can make the shirts and sell them you're allowed to go do it so it was very he had already experienced me. the found family Yes, yes, yes. And he was kind of inviting me in. Now, as far as hardcore went, so back in the day, you mentioned the phrase mixed bill. Um, In New Jersey, it was very weird when I first started going to shows because, you know, Green Day was maybe just starting to bring punk back on MTV. It it predated that by maybe like a year or so that they broke out on MTV. So. It was just if you can get a space to have a show, all the bands want to play it and there's not that many bands. So you might have a ska band followed by a hardcore band followed by, uh, you know, somebody with an acoustic guitar doing a folk punk thing followed by a punk band like it was all over the map. So I saw a lot of hardcore come through. Um, it scared me. It scared me. Uh, I I grew up in North Jersey where New York hardcore was a big influence. And New York hardcore was scary. It was like kids with shaved heads and hoodies looking to fight. And a lot of the North Jersey kids of the 90s were trying to do pale imitations of New York hardcore from the 80s. So in particular, there was one summer where this crew started coming to shows. They called themselves the Bergen County Youth Crew. And when the Bergen County, Mm -hmm. and Bergen County, which is like a largely affluent area, if the Bergen County youth kids showed up, you didn't know, like, you might get knocked to the floor. You might get pushed up against a wall. Like, they didn't care. They showed up to vent a lot of anger, and honestly, it seemed like cause a lot of trouble. And they would be at any shows that had the hardcore bands on them. So I'm like, I'm here to see the pop punk band, and then the uh, Ensign or Heckle is playing. And then the Bergen County youth crew shows up and the next thing I know, my ass is face down on the floor hoping nobody steps on the back of my neck. Like, this is not cool, man. They would do that wall of death thing. Um, so yeah, we were lame no, suburbanites wow. in Jersey, but it was like a little mini microcosm of the of the New York scene. And the hardcore guys scared me. That being said, uh, Minor Threat is still one of my favorite bands to this day. And there have been many yeah. junctures in my career that have nothing to do with punk rock where I will face a decision about which direction to go in my creative career. And even though I've only met him one time, uh, I will still sometimes say, what do I think Ian MacKay would do? Like if I have a decision that comes down to money versus integrity, I sit here, I go, what would Ian MacKay do? And I still think, I don't think, I don't, I think
1: because he's so humble, I don't, I think like a big part of your fan base wouldn't understand how influential that one name is to all DIY creatives. Like it, it's the, the way that really, he, really true. the way that he steered art and music. I don't if he hadn't done Fugazi and Minor Threat like obviously there would have been someone else that would have done something to change everything but like I don't know what what things would look like for creatives if he hadn't come along in the eighties.
0: Yeah, he really did draw some lines in the sand. And so if anybody out there has heard the phrase straight edge, as far as that means that you don't drink smoke, do drugs, that is a phrase that he created as part of a song uh, and led to a movement, a movement that I think he has gone on record and said, he has some mixed feelings about it becoming kind of militant and dogmatic. Right. But that's probably, you know, if you're not into punk rock or independent music, you've probably heard the phrase straight edge thrown around. And that goes back to a song this guy wrote. Um, but he more than more than that, I would say, certainly creating straight edge has helped a lot of people in life. But more than that, well, what he's just a figurehead for independence in art for decades and decades now. And he's someone that a lot of people can look to as far as there is a right way to do things. And he is a person who has consistently chosen to do them the right way over and over and over again. And it's really inspiring. Yeah. And I've
1: heard you talk a lot about him and that time in your life and how influential it was to your career. But what the reason I brought it up at the beginning is I just think it's funny how every time you talk about like you being more into pop punk and then the hardcore side of the music scene and then how that led into your comedy career, you always give the kind of, or like the normal layman, you give the side of it of like, oh yeah, but it's violent. And oh yeah, but like this or that. Where... I kind of lost my train of thought, but it's like those are the things that now that I'm an adult or I'm viewing myself as an adult is seeing the youthfulness of it and seeing how freeing those sides of it is because nowadays it's not as violent and it's not as militant and it's not as dangerous. I don't think though, so, like I'm a straight white male. So maybe it's worse for other people.
0: Well, but, it's also that thing with all forms of punk rock, which is that the intimidation factor gets amped up, but a lot of that is surface level. And I'm aware of that too. Like, I mean, certainly growing up in the New York area, you would hear stories about some of the hardcore crews. Like you'd hear stories about, Uh, the crow mags and the DMS bands and be like, Oh, these are almost like, like street gangs with bands that are there." there. You know, that's one thing, but hardcore in general, it's like the idea that it's violent is an intimidation factor that keeps away people who can't hang in the same way that punk rockers who have, you know, pink hair or Mohawks. A lot of it is like, Hey, we're weird and we're doing our own thing. And if you're coming here to judge it, there's a lot of reasons for you to feel uncomfortable and not even want to walk through the door. And then when you get on the inside of it, yeah. you realize, oh, actually, a lot of these are strange people or troubled people or people who don't have another place to go or people to, who don't have another way to express themselves. And they chase away. the use that. Punk uses that imagery to chase away the people who are never going to get it anyway to create a more safe environment. I think hardcore sometimes uses the sort of agro machismo, tough, violent energy to chase away the people who are never going to get it. And that leaves you with all the people who really need it and they can then connect. Yeah.
1: Because like when, so when I was coming up, going to shows in like my late teens and early twenties, like whenever that was like the metal core was more popular and it was like more radio friendly music and it was more like glitz and glam and clean edge. And that's where I was getting into it through like the warp tour, which is like after when you were getting into it Mm -hmm, mm but um i like it was bigger rooms it was bigger stages it was bigger crowds like a more a mix of people and i was i loved going to shows as an emotional release being like a repressed having a repressed childhood but like can I, can I ask you um,
0: uh, repress from what clause?
1: Uh, we can get into that after. Um, okay. So, okay. like, my parents were very, very religious. I'm also very religious still, but in a different way. Um, but they wouldn't let me go to shows. Um, like, I grew up watching Warp Tour, and concerts were on TV channels like uh, Fuse and stuff like that. And I would watch it and. Um, but like, if I wanted to go, they would say no, they would throw away my records. They would throw my away my video games cause it didn't match their, um,
0: religious background and stuff like that. That sounds, uh, tense. That sounds not that fun. Yeah.
1: No. But like that, that's why, like when I was talking about like the music community, like, I I was just about to say that, like, in those bigger rooms, I wasn't feeling the community aspect, but, like, now I'm in, like, I'm in my 30s, and going to these smaller rooms, I'm really feeling, like, the community aspect of it, and how some of these people have been friends their whole lives, and making music, and going to shows together their whole lives, and, like, that's their family is in those small rooms. And that's why I was asking you about like growing up in that. And I knew you had said before that you were young when you had started going to concerts and stuff. And like, I can only imagine what that was like, like feeling like a outcast in school, but then after school going and feeling like you had found your people
0: yeah i mean being like a late bloomer who didn't grow a pube until years after everybody else who had a skeletal skeletal Same. condition where yep. my hands didn't work and my elbows stick out and my last name spells the words get hard and i look vaguely yep. like calvin from calvin and Hobbes, and i had an older <laughs> brother who uh, was like you know, he was bullied and then he just chose to Be like, fine, screw you. I'll just become the weirdest kid in school then. Like, I'll start wearing corduroy jumpsuits and I'll start just like being outlandish. If you're going to already treat me bad, I might as well just start letting my freak flag fly. Like, I had a lot of reasons to feel like I should just hide in a corner. But instead, I found this other community that was like, no, um, don't hide who you are. In fact. Right. Understand that a lot of why you feel that way is because there's a lot of systems in place to make you feel that way. And that if you choose to not put your head down and let them defeat you, that is kind of a rebellious act in some ways. Like school itself wants to train you to just listen to, you know, listen to commands and obey them and not question them. And fit into social structures and fit into other people's schedules and um punk very quickly taught me of like oh no it's my job to kind of ask why about everything let's pause right there. Punk taught me my, it's my job to ask about everything. Ask why about everything. You know what? A good why it has is, why do I need these products and services in my life? That's a why that I'm asking right now. Because if there's one thing that is punk, it is capitalism. We'll be right back, everybody. One of the best things you can do for your kids is to teach them how to manage money. And this should be started when they're little. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 to 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and savings goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spending limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. I so wish I had this when I was a kid. I got to my adulthood and realized I was in over my head because I'd never taken the time to do this exact type of thing, and I had to learn about money the hard way as an adult. And I think if my parents had set me up with GoHenry as a kid, learning to "quote unquote" adult would have been much easier for me. Set your kids up for success. Get started today at gohenry.com/slash beautiful. T and C's apply. Be news from $4.99 per month and less canceled. Thanks to our sponsors who allow the show to exist. Now let's get back to the phone call. Punk very quickly taught me of like, oh no, it's my job to kind of ask why about everything. And it actually made me a better student in school and, and I think a more attentive person. But I just realized like, I don't. For high school and college, I think I kind of went through them like I don't particularly care about grades. I do care about people and and this obsession that I've had that clearly this show still shows it off is like the thing that makes me feel good is finding commonality with people and when you're one of 28 people standing in an american legion hall watching some band that drove from wisconsin that no one's ever heard of you feel connected to those any to other 28 people because you're the 28 people who gave a shit and found out about it and took the time to come and that that feeling of community and and commonality um really even even in the my com- comedy life even in my podcasting life it's all just kind of chasing that feeling of, well, the systems build things that I don't necessarily trust or like, but if I can find ways to build other communities, then I get to participate in those communities. And that makes me feel sane and it makes me feel safe. Yeah. And it, and that's that's what yeah. I wanted to bring
1: up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I think there's a lot of people that like, you've said before how like your numbers on this podcast, like it's a lot of like middle America moms and kind of thing. And it's like, I don't, I think it's really important to also give the side of finding that community for those moms that are listening to this podcast and hearing that their kid, that's a little bit different and might be flunking in school and, Is really sad and like comes home from school and they ask how their day was and they just have their headphones in and they don't respond. It's like sometimes kids just need to find a community and whatever it is, if it's like finding a hobby or finding a club or going to shows, like just finding their where they fit in is really important. And like you saying how. In the 90s, that like pop punk was cool, but hardcore was scary and dangerous. Like for a mom in the 2020s to hear that and be like, oh, my kid is listening to music that has screaming in it. Oh, that's bad. Like throw that away. Oh, don't go to shows where, like in Boston, like the underground, literally underground. Oh, my goodness. Like I hear stories and it's crazy. But like the like the club that I go to, it's like oh, sorry, my dog's barking. I think my what kind called. of dog do you have? Uh, corgi. He's that was a corgi. Dog, but big. Yeah,
0: yeah. Dude, I would have guessed that that was big. a pit bull or a great dane. You're telling me that's a corgi making that noise? Yep, he chases after uh, cows and runs them around. You, wait, you're telling me that the dog that made that amount of noise is a tiny little corgi. And you, wait, you have cows? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, my uh, we live on a compound with my wife's family. And my wife's sister a co- compound? is a teacher and just bought three cows. Teacher bought cows? Wait, a
0: compound?
1: Yeah, I call it a compound. We We live on a a separate building on the same property and it's us and my in-laws and my sister-in-law and then they're eventually going to have one of the set of parents move into. And you guys
0: got, are you off the grid?
1: You got like solar and wind energy? energy No, no, not that, not that (laughs) form of compound. I just meant as in like a group of houses kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. That sounds pretty. I actually, when I was
1: on. When I was on hold, uh, I asked Andrea if I could drive home because I got through on top of one hill and had to pull over because if I drove down the hill, I would lose signal and then drive back up the hill to get signal at my house again.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have kids? No, that was another thing that I wanted to talk to you about. I was going to say, it sounds like that compound life would be really good for raising kids. I would love if my parents lived on a compound. It definitely, it, it definitely would. And, and
1: that is definitely on the horizon eventually. Yeah, that's
0: a cool way to do it.
1: But so, I did want to make that point about the, so when I was saying about the music club, um. Yeah. So the one in Boston is literally underground in the city. You have to go down two sets of stairs to get to it. And the sound person is like an 18, 19 year old them. And I don't know what pronoun she goes by, but she does way better than any other old guy in any other club. And She's been welcomed in the open arms by the whole community. 50 year old dudes that encourage people to punch each other are putting their arms around her and saying she's doing an amazing job and leading the charge. And I wanted to end our discussion on that about just give kids a chance and finding what they love. And it's important to do it, even if it's scary for
0: the parents because they don't, know anything about it I uh, I would even take it one step further because I think that's a great mission for you know a great thing to remind a lot of that parents listening of like hey if you have a kid who's in your mind participating in something weird or opting into their freakish side obviously you want to be concerned about your kid but you know the whole thing of like go and take the eyeliner off you know it's like no let the kids exactly. go to the show with the eyeliner on. It's fine. But I would even go so far as to say, I think part of the success of this show, I think part of the secret behind it that I did not know coming in, because I was I was really blown away when a lot of women were listening to the show and then I found out that they were generally older than the fans of my comedy. Like I, I had always appealed to high school and college kids and now it was women who were older than me, many of them young professionals and new moms. And that really remains true. But I realized our show launched in 2016 I'm like, who needed, who needed their punk rock moment more than young professional women and and young moms ah. in 2016? You want to talk about an overlooked and swept aside group of people who weren't having their full humanity considered? Look in 2016 at at the turns that women were taking. I mean, because um, I, I was sitting here like, man. My works always appealed to like the 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 troublemakers and the rabble rousers and the punk kids. And then I realized, oh, in 2016, the troublemakers, you know who got a lot of uh red districts flipped blue in congressional races was organizations of women who organized uh voting drives amongst other women to get candidates into office and take down long-standing Republican districts. Like it was an activist click. You know where I think some of the most punk rock shit happening right now is, and I'm not even exaggerating that much, PTA meetings. It's the people standing up going, you know, you you have some PTA meetings in school districts where people are going, well, we want to come in and ban books. And then you have other people going, screw you. I want my kids to understand that drag queens can eat brunch too. You got a problem with that. We can fucking <laughs> brawl. Let's brawl on the internet and let's brawl at the school board meeting. I don't care. Um, so not only let your kids have that moment, let yourself have that moment, especially for the, for the moms listening where it's like, cause I know when we had our kid, my wife, who's been a punk rocker of many more years than me. And, and far, I mean, she put out some great albums with her band, the unlovables and hiccup and, really great stuff. But all of a sudden you just see, Oh, society expects a mom to be a mom. Like it's 1950 fucking two with a, you know, a a dad who wants to come home and smoke his pipe and the white picket fence outside. It's like the world doesn't fucking work like that anymore. And just because a woman gives birth to a child, doesn't mean she gets slotted into being a sitcom style homemaker. And it's weird how society asks that of, of women still. So, Give yourself the punk rock moment. Give yourself. Listen to Turnstile. See what you think. Listen to Fucked Up. Another another punk oh slash hardcore band that it, that it defies expectations. Eleven minute long songs and shit like that, and harmonies and melodies and all this stuff you don't see coming. And always remember the words of Ian MacKay, a quote that I think about still on a weekly basis when I get down on myself. Ian MacKay, he has a song. Where in the middle of the song he just yells the words, you tell me that I make no difference, well at least I'm fucking trying. What the fuck Mm -hmm. have you done? And I think about that on a weekly basis. When I doubt myself, the choices I make, my priorities, am I doing the right thing? Am Am I overthinking it? Well no, if I'm doing stuff in an honest effort to try to help in any way, at least I'm fucking trying. And if anybody wants to judge me or criticize me for that, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now that's having a bigger effect? Explain it to me and I'll respect you. And if not, get out of my way. Because we live in a world that can be fucking harsh for people every day. And I've dedicated a lot of my life at this point to trying to make it less harsh for people. So that's probably the most hardcore thing about me is that minor threat probably in a lot of ways... (laughs) I don't want to say it uh, replaced Catholicism for me when I was a kid, but I mean, I found punk rock the same year that I had my confirmation and I really stopped going to church, but I think minor threat sort of gave me um, uh, a a more contemporary and modern set of like, Oh, you have to define your ethics and fucking live by them and not apologize for them and not let people bend you out of them. I think about it all the time. But what do I know? I'm just yep. a lame suburban dad now. You live on a compound with a corgi. That sounds like a mess. <laughs> yeah, he thinks
1: he's he thinks he's a big boy. He likes to play around with the great Danes and everybody. Yeah, chasing cows. Goddamn Corgi. Yep. Yeah, my wife my wife got home. I asked if she wanted to be on the call and she said no because she had to go help with the
0: Cows and get their shots and flea and tick medicines. So, did your did your wife grow up on this compound? Has this been a family compound of many years?
1: No, they. uh, So I grew up in the woods and she grew up in suburbia. And just for some reason, during COVID, the parents sold their house and thought they would move into like a condo thing and then realized that was too small and ended up buying an old farm and that was divvied up the farmland and parceled out but the houses that were built are still on pretty big properties and because there's a hay field in the back we just decided hey instead of having someone come with a tractor and hay it why don't we get some cows and cows can eat the hay
0: simple as that and now you live on a family compound you get you must get along with your in-laws then
1: uh come and go that was Mm -hmm. that was the thing that uh my wife asked if
0: i could still keep private because it's currently going on and changing day to day but I i won't squeeze more juice out of that one i did want to ask you you said you grew up religious and that you're still religious. A lot of people who get into yep. punk rock go atheist, and unless of course because there's also weird not weird I shouldn't judge that's a judgmental word, but there's like Krishna core, which is a whole krishna religious folk, uh-huh. folk yep. focus section of hardcore there's uh bands like Earth Crisis, which I, were extreme Hardcore. a lot of a lot of sub yeah yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify, because you said it
1: very quickly, Krishna core, not Christian core.
0: <laughs> While there is Christian punk and Christian hardcore as well, yes. I'm sure, I'm, I said Krishna, yes. like Hari Krishna. Right. There's a number of right. actually really beloved hardcore bands that also embraced Hari Krishna. Point yep. being, religion can get tied into hardcore, but by and large, the stereotype is more that punk kids come to question and often reject religion. So I want to hear about that as far as one of the tracks of your life. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, I think religion is, everyone needs to find their way in it. I know a lot of people, so I'm a Christian. Um, I know a lot of people see the negatives of things that happen in different Uh, forms of the religion say because this form of Christianity hid sex offenders or this form of Christianity is patriarchy that I need to leave that and find my own way and that's that's their decision that's great I'm, I'm like like I talk to people online all the time in the music community of Like I'll tell them flat out that I'm still religious and talk to them about their views. And I'll talk to them about my views. And like, I think everyone just needs to learn to get along and learn to be able to talk to one another with respect. And, um, I, as I said, like my, my dad was I don't have a relationship with my dad. Really. Um, my mom, left our religion and decided to cut ties with everyone and went off on her own way. And I, she was divorced from my dad before I was born, but I had visitation through my teenage years and then she just took off from that as well. And I was with my dad and my dad was still religious and through his life decided to get more and more and more religious and higher and higher and higher up in the like the scale of the religion and was harder and harder and harder to live with. And I knew that it wasn't God that was deciding for him to live his life like that. He was. And I still saw positives in religion and saw positives in my own life because of it. So I wasn't going to blame anyone but myself for my decisions,
0: good or bad. That's that's a pretty intense story. I didn't see that coming when you just wanted yeah. to talk about punk rock and hardcore shows from the 90s.
1: Hey, we can dive more into it. How much time we got left? I know that's the stereotypical
0: question when we're we got almost done. 22 minutes. So your par- your parents were divorced uh, before you were born, and you wound up living with your dad, it sounds like, and you had visitation with yep. your mom? That's unusual, right? Yep. Uh. I think he was.
1: Yeah, she uh, I think the story I've been told is she came to church or she came to court um, not prepared and kind of had a really flimsy defense on why I should live with her. And my dad was overly prepared and. I had all the statistics and why I should stay with him. And that's why it happened that way.
0: And how old were you? You said when your mom took off, I believe was how you put it.
1: So, uh, they decided on the, where I was living when I started school at five and I saw her every other weekend. And then like during summer and, holiday breaks uh every other week um she lived like an hour and a half away from my dad and at 14 i got an under the table job and said that if i could just spend more time at the job um and she just never came back and i sat by the phone every time that she was supposed to come pick me up and would call and talk to her, my stepfather. And he would say, Oh yeah, she came to come pick you up. And she never did.
0: Wow. And are you in touch with her on any level anymore?
1: Um, I'm a, I'm a very black and white person. Um, and When her sister died a couple years ago, I saw her and bumped into her uh, when she was at my grandparents' house. And uh, she just acted like nothing had ever happened. Nothing was wrong. And, oh, let's catch up. So I was just like, you know, I'm not going to put up with that. I spent a lot of years hurting and healed myself and you didn't have anything to do with that. So why should you reap the benefits of knowing me when I'm a better person?
0: Ooh, let's pause. It's a hard question to ever have to ask, let alone your own mom. That's a, that's a emotional punch to the gut. Let's take a deep breath, everybody. Perfect time for some ads. We'll be right back. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now we're going to finish off this phone call.
1: I spent a lot of years hurting and healed myself, and you didn't have anything to do with that, so why should you reap the benefits of knowing me when I'm a better person? And you you expressed that? Uh No. Because I'm a passive-aggressive New Englander, so why would I actually (laughs) tell you how I
0: feel? I just told myself that. I mean, this makes... I will say, that is the type of story... uh, I mean, it's very unique, but... you find people who get really into the community driven sides of the punk and hardcore community. And sometimes you will hear things akin to this, as far as fractured relationships and, and household lives that are non-traditional that, that put a kid deeply in their head. I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That's, that's a lifelong thing to deal with, huh?
1: Yeah, it's definitely influenced the way I form relationships. I definitely have a like that's why I craved the community aspect of what I found in the music community of finding the found family. Um I am Irish French Canadian and my wife is full-blooded Italian and when we got when we were dating I would go over her family's house and it would be loud, rambunctious, everybody talking over each other. And I was just sitting in the corner and then she would come over my house and it would be very quiet and no one really talking to each other, even though it was a big, huge family. And that's like, I'm not, I don't really talk to either side of my family all that much, but, we have that core group of friends that we all stick up for each other. And
0: we're the ones that are there through the hardest times. Yeah. I can't imagine that your situation with your parents growing up made your, your dating life simple.
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, no, uh, they, so I, i i grew up um the we left the english-speaking church and we started doing uh sign language so going to a sign language congregation and because there's so few of those we were traveling an hour away from where my parents lived but we lived like 20 minutes the other direction from my wife's family and they knew each other and I never knew her until I was in my twenties. And they, because they knew that my parents knew that other family, uh, yeah, they made it very clear that they didn't want us dating because they wanted control over me and who I would be and what I would become. And they thought that that family was too free and That I wouldn't have the life course that my parents laid out for me. It's not easy. And as I said, that was in my
0: 20s. Yeah. 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 And we were talking about it casually before, and you were like, oh, yeah, no, I think we're going to have kids someday. But that's, that's, that I have to imagine that hasn't been an easy, decision for you to come to?
1: No. So I, I think I've actually left voicemails, um, before. And one of them, I wanted to talk to you about being depressed and anxious. And I haven't Sadly, I'll admit, I haven't listened to your audio book of Uh, the father on pills or whatever it was called because I didn't subscribe to that uh, app because of money, but I deal with depression. I just had to raise my uh, prescription because I was suicidal a couple months ago. And that's part of the decision with my wife of if we're going to have kids or not is, both of our mental stability and our life situation. And I don't know, we've been married seven years. Uh, We went into our marriage saying that we were going to have kids and then it was me saying no. And then it was her saying no. And now we're both kind of like, we don't know where we go from here.
0: Yeah. 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 I've had a lot of those internal conversations um, but I will say if you do decide to have kids, I get the fear of like, yeah, I've dealt with a lot and I've medicated cause I have, you know, I have ups, I have downs, I have instability, I, all these things. But one thing that was passed on to me that I took great faith in was. Somebody pointed out to me, well, hey, if your kid deals with all that stuff, it's not stigmatized in your household, and they have a very empathetic ear, they have a very empathetic person to lean on who gets it and who will not brush it under the rug or tell them they're being dramatic, you'll you'll see it and sense it, and they will know that at the very least that they can talk freely with you about it. And, uh, And that actually relieved a lot of pressure for me, so... I don't know if it would do the same for you, but I want to point it out. Like in some ways I'm like, ah, if you can if you can fight through depression, in some ways maybe that's a weapon for a, a parent because it allows empathy, should you ever see it show up in the next generation.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I seem to be the only one in my family that deals with it, and none of them get it at all. So
0: well, you mentioned that you're I, I definitely part hope Irish, right? Skip a generation. Oh yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, that's listen. I come from an Irish Catholic family myself, and uh, this idea that none of them deal with it—there's no way. It's just that, oh, it's all the repressed. Irish, the Irish Catholics repress it and drink it down and don't talk about it and tell you to toughen up. It doesn't mean that it's not there. So don't don't. Don't beat yourself over that one too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have it. They just drink it away and say, well, I got up and went to work in the morning. I don't have a problem.
1: Yeah, that's that was why I knew something was wrong even as a kid. Something was wrong with my brain, but I always was told that depression was you couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, oh, I can get out of bed and go to work. I can go to get out of bed and go to school. I just hate myself and want to die all day long.
0: Right, right. So yeah, I, just, I, know. I didn't I know realize I was still depressed. Right. Yeah, stop being a baby. Walk it off. It's like, okay, I guess I'll just exactly. uh, live a continuous existence of self-doubt and apathy and uh, at times self-hatred. All right. Yeah. I guess this is what life is. No.
1: No. Yeah. You had a sibling. I was an only child, so I just sat in the corner and read because that's what I wanted my life to be.
0: Oh, that's. I wanted my life to be
1: what I read in the book.
0: What kind of books were you reading? What were the favorites?
1: Uh, like fantasy, young adult fantasy, and then those would get returned to the library or thrown away, and. Then I just didn't have the books anymore. <laughs> oh, you can have those. Wow, this really now I'm introduced now I'm introducing my wife to things like Lord of the Rings and Baldur's Gate and all that stuff. And it's not her thing, but she's
0: trying to be a good sport and enjoy it with me. So you still read the style of books that you took comfort in growing up?
1: Now that I'm in my thirties, I'm trying to get back into everything that
0: I wish I had had my whole life. Yeah. And how often do you get out to hardcore shows?
1: Uh, if I'm not hurt from the last one, uh, (laughs) like at least once a month, sometimes more and
0: then we're tired and. I do like that you were pointing out before that I was saying like, you know, I have a habit of saying the shorthand of like, I'm a pop punk guy. hardcore was too violent for me. And you're like, that's not really true. And I'm like, I know it's more layered than that. And then you're like, well, if I'm not injured from the hardcore show, then I go to one the next weekend, unless the injuries from the previous one are healing. Well, listen,
1: I also have a connective, a connective tissue issue. So if I jump too high, I twist an ankle or if I, I'll just fall over
0: randomly if I'm dancing and hurt myself. But to loop it back to the hardcore, and first of all, I'm sorry, as someone who has a skeletal issue myself, and also we've had a number of connective tissue issue people call in recent months. You're, I think, the third one in recent memory. So I just found out two years ago. Look at that. You probably explained a lot. Probably explained a lot, I like bet. Oh, yeah. But I do want to say when you go to a show like a hardcore show and you see what looks like people brutalizing each other to the music, I kind of feel like in some ways your story is one where I'm like, no, what a lot of people don't understand is like, yeah, maybe, maybe you're somebody who your mom left and you sat in a corner reading books as an only child in a family that never really talked that much and that told you your depression wasn't real. So yeah, then you discover a thing where you can start spinning elbows around and then maybe someone punches you in the face and that's a fun thing for you to do on a weekend and it looks really violent from the outside, but actually it might be a creative outlet to get a lot of that pain and anger out in a way that prior decades never afforded you. And I think that's the 100%. argument for that music and that vibe in the room at hardcore shows. A hundred percent.
1: And then the lights come back on and the person that punched you in the face, you can slap on the back and you can
0: walk out arm in arm talking to each other. Uh, so you'll go true. You'll go, you'll go truly hard in the pit. Oh Yeah. And then I, I forget if you've mentioned, what's your work life? What's your job?
1: I am now that I found a skill, I am in construction, trim and hardwood floors.
0: So you'll just be out on the weekend, slamming into people, throwing elbows, picking up change, doing all the hardcore dances, and then you go to work yep. with the other guys on the crew working on the hardwood floors and they don't know, Oh, you were in a VFW hall with 50 other people who all looked like they were trying to take each other's heads off like 36 hours ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll get you through. Well, they're all
1: just listening to country music and saying that like, because any music that I listen to has screaming, it must be death metal.
0: And who are, who are your go-to bands these days? Let's give some plugs who are the ones that are really floating your boat these days?
1: Um, so obviously I'm in the Boston area. So the person I got to shout out, don't know if they would listen to this, but Colin of Arabia is an older band. Like all the old heads come out for them, but his showmanship was what got my wife to like, hardcore music and say that that community was the only thing she wanted to be in. Um, so like them turnstiles really on the come up, same thing with drain. Uh, that's a band from California. That's like crossover with metal and hardcore and they're killing it. Um, I don't know. I'm too many to name, but like, What do you want me to say? I love it. I love it. I thought you were just trying to think of some out there. Oh, uh, no. If I go on naming bands, I'm going to use up my last 10 minutes. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, uh, I'll just say, on when I was saying how the young generation is, like, really coming up and taking over, like, this band that they call themselves just Northeast Hardcore because that I think each kid is from a different state in the area. They're called Ankle Biter and they're all like 18, 19, 20. And they're like showing up to these shows being the first band and like blowing the headliner out of the way. Like we ankle, saw them open for Middlehead, which Ankle Biter, yeah. And like... They opened for Fiddlehead, which is, I don't know if you've heard of Half Heart, but they're a hardcore band. And the singer is now doing like a melodic band that's all about grief. And like their albums are amazing. And these young kids were like insane. The first of five bands.
0: I love it. It does bring it back. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit past my days of discovering new music. I've now become that lame guy in his forties who just listens to the stuff he's always listened to. But I do like hearing that ankle biter is out there stealing the show out from under the headliners. I think that's a good thing. Good for ankle biter.
1: Yeah. Every, every next generation, like for a couple of years, I was like, Oh, these young kids, what are they? They're weird. They don't know what they're doing. Like, they're coming in here and they're dancing weird and they're just doing moves that they saw on TikTok. But now that they're coming into their own, they're really like, I can't say anything bad about them anymore. Like, they just got to yeah. show us up and show us that we're old and tell us to get out of the way
0: and that we need to follow. Yeah. I do try to remember, like, uh, it's very easy. So many people right now, in, in my world, in the comedy world, where so many people are making money being like, kids today want to dress androgynous. What are their pronouns? And it's like, you sound fucking lame and old. That's what you sound like on Netflix, dude. You sound lame and old and like, you don't get it. Because there are things that it takes me a minute to understand. But one thing I've always been acutely aware of is that young people are correct 99.9% of the time. So maybe I need to just take a breath and remember that I'm old now, and I gotta listen more than I talk.
1: But don't you worry, because you complaining about those old guys on Netflix and all those specials get the negative right up because the eyes are on them, but then... All these YouTube comics are coming up and having YouTube specials. And they're just blowing up. And that's what's important is the new voice.
0: The new voices are always the most important ones. And the self-aware veterans, sure. The veterans who want to turn their whole legacy into uh, their running commentary on how young people behave. Oh, you can you can just schlep off schlep off to the horizon with that. I got no time for it. You sound crumuchy. Yeah, I watched a couple of those best.
1: I watched a couple of those specials just because they were the names I recognized and loved, but I haven't watched a single one since, even though I know that all the ones that followed in the last couple of
0: years have been the same rhetoric. Ugh, ugh, what a bad taste they leave in my mouth. Anyway, caller, this has been lovely. Um, I wish you and your wife well. You mentioned there's some stuff going on your wife didn't want you talking about. I hope everybody's okay. I hope that you're feeling good more often than bad these days. I hope that your music and and the chosen family you find through it helps sustain you through the tough parts. I hope life on the compound is good. And... (laughs) We're gonna yeah, I hope the Corgi, I hope the Corgi that doesn't realize how small it does is doesn't fuck around with the wrong cow and find out. And if you're down with it, would you be down to hang out and answer five random questions submitted by beautiful anonymous listeners out there? Corgi, uh, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to your human I was talking to your human.
1: It- He wants to get outside. That's why he was yelling at me because I've been petting him and making a giant ball of fluff this whole time.
0: Got it. Got it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into five questions. I can't thank you enough for your, your openness, your honesty, and for talking music with me because it's always a fun conversation. Yeah, definitely. Caller, thank you so much. Thanks for calling up and talking to me about music, and then thanks for allowing it, as music soften does, to cut a lot deeper and allow us to learn even more about you. Thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks to everybody who has signed up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus. You can find info on that at beautifulanonymous.com. Thanks, of course, to our producer, the High Priestess, Andrea Quinn. Thanks to Shell Shag for our theme music. Go to ChrisGeth.com if you want to know more about me. If you have a story and you want it to be on the show, maybe our usual taping hours don't work for you. Maybe you feel like you represent a voice that we haven't had on the show uh, before or in a long time. Guess what we want this show to be for everybody? Then leave us a voicemail explaining your call at 973-306-4676. We will be in touch. If you want to follow us on Instagram, Beautiful Anonymous Pod is our account. Thanks for listening, everybody. This week on Beautiful Anonymous Plus, here's some of what you'll get from the five questions. Is that a portmanteau? Is that what a portmanteau is? Um, I do not know. Andrea, can we verify whether or not shart is a portmanteau? Oh, it is Andrea's typed it is in fact a portmanteau we'll class it up by saying oh Andrea also just informed me she has quit her job producing beautiful anonymous now that I've made sure verify the portmanteau status of the word shark she can
1: put that on her resume that she was paid to Google if chart is a portmanteau
0: fact checker Fact checker for such important issues
1: now if Now if people ask me what a portmanteau is, I can say
0: I don't know, but I know that Shart is one of them. Don't forget to sign up for Beautiful Anonymous Plus at beautifulanonymous.com.